And welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John, and I'm a writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm I'm PJ, oh, no. and I'm choking <laughs> on my coffee. <laughs> oh no! I was about I was about to say something about this being a return to form, you know, after um, after missing an episode. But uh, no, it very much is. <laughs> oh, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, sigh. Um, <laughs> Are you, al- you you okay? You're not dying? I'm good. I'm good. Let's carry on. Grand, grand. Uh, so yes, everyone, we're back. Um, sincere apologies um, for uh, not being around uh, last episode. Um, uh, life life kind of got in the way. And, it it uh, does that sometimes at the moment. Yes, we're, we're, we're very much living uh, kind of moment to moment of the mo- act at the moment. And... Uh, you know, I'm sure some of you might be saying, now, why don't they have a backlog? Why don't they have a backlog recorded? And to which I say, how on earth could we keep up with all the current, up-to-date, relevant news uh, in this recap podcast about a comic which is 23 years old? Exactly. You know, exactly. There's only so much we can do. We've got to, we've got to record in the moment. Otherwise, we'll, we won't be relevant, PJ. <laughs> I've never been relevant. Now we speaking of uh, speaking of never being relevant. Uh, we had I, I hesitate to even call it a conversation, but we we very very briefly touched on the Flash movie mm. before 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 recording, and we were in the context of and I had to go to the IMDb IMDb page. We were both laboring on under the understanding that Grant Morrison had in some way been involved in the story yeah. for the film. Yeah. Uh, which is something I'd been saying as a kind of fact to anyone who would listen. Um, it does not appear to be the case because Morrison is not credited in any way as a writer on this version of the movie. Uh, maybe that's not a surprise, given that this film has, I mean, well, frankly, been in production hell for the better part of a decade. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many directors and scripts they've thrown out over the years. Oh, there have been loads of directors attached. Um, like, I know that at one point, <clears throat> um, Seth Graham Smith was involved, I think. Um, what are their names? The guys who did uh, Game Night and Dungeons and Dragons, John Francis Daly and um, Jonathan something, Jonathan Goldstein. Oh, they are they are still credited. Oh, really? Yes, because they were yes. attached as directors for a while. Oh, interesting. Well, w- what little I know about Hollywood credits is that if you ever see the writing, t- uh, the writing credits, if there's uh, the word and between two names, that means they work separately. But if there's an ampersand between two names, it means they were a writing partnership. 
So this is writing credits, screenplay by Christina Hogson, but then screen story by the the writing partnership of John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein and, so a separate writer, Joby Harold. So these might all be kind of like subsequent kind of, you know, one one creative team was attached, they had ideas. Another creative team was attached, they had ideas. It's like layers upon layers upon layers until you get to the final, final product, so to speak. So I've just done a little bit of research on Wikipedia and Morrison did write a draft of the script with Ezra Miller uh, and the studio rejected it. When you say like with, as in like, for a film starring Ezra Miller or Ezra Miller had some input on the story? No, um, Miller, obviously, who was The Flash, they went and spent two weeks with Morrison and they wrote uh, the treatment and the script together. Um, wow. uh, but yeah, the studio just shot it down and said no. God, that, that would be a weird... That would have been a weird couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, one of the things... Um, one of the reasons I bring it up is that um, Mark Wade, who uh, is quite active on Facebook of all places, um, he'd posted about um, asking who had been credited as a, a not as a kind of um, you know that way where they're, they're, they'll credit comic creators whose work was kind of I don't know had some inspiration for the movie sort of thing yeah like marvel usually credit them as was it special thanks or something and then it's a specific list of writers and artists whose stories informed that particular film Spe- yeah special thanks and also kind of like a uh it doesn't necessarily mean they got a big fat check off no. the back of it no we thanked you what more do you need uh and i think there was a i think way to ask something to the effect of was I actually credited or thanked in the movie? And I don't think he was. So like, I think people, you know, his kind of followers and fans who'd actually been to see the movie were commenting on this saying like, no, you weren't. I think they said that Morrison was. And I think even, God, I think even Mark Miller may have been thanked uh-huh. uh, in some capacity because there was some speculation that there may have originally been, at some point in the story development, more parallel universes right. that, were, that were featured. And one of them may have been potentially the Red Sun Superman universe. Oh, I remember there being talk of that in the development, yeah. It's just, it's so interesting how this kind of, how these credits are arbitra- arbitrarily uh, assigned, it would seem. Because it would seem that Wade wasn't. Which, of course, you know, he's he's got a lot to be proud of. And I don't think it's too much skin off his nose if a movie he's never going to see doesn't credit him. But I think his fans and his followers were saying it's kind of a bit of an oversight given how much you did for the character. That said, Wade's run on The Flash is very much Wally. Oh, and yes. And it's a Barry Allen Flashpoint film. You know, sort of, anyway. I mean, it's Barry Allen in name, but there's no consistency to all these different depictions of Barry Allen across the various media anymore. But, um, but yeah, Mark Wade very much is the, the Wally West guy. So I, I, I kind of get it from that point. But on the other hand, you know, he was in... He basically was the Flash through the 90s and early 2000s. Um, so 
some level of respect for that probably would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, isn't it? Because that um, there was a news story last year about how a lot of um, Marvel creators were kind of receiving a like a apropos of nothing, just out of nowhere, they'd receive a check for for like a, a weird kind of arbitrary figure, like maybe right. like two thousand dollars, and they weren't entirely sure what it was for, and it kind of emerged that it was like a kind of I don't know, like a kind of like a little thank you because their work was going to be referenced in an upcoming movie. Mm. But it was also, a, when you think about it, like $2,000 is not a spectacular <laughs> amount for Disney Marvel. Uh, yeah. And it was almost like a kind of a, here's a little thank you, uh, a symbolic thank you, don't come asking for more sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. No, it's really not. When you look at like, I don't know what numbers the late, late, more recent Marvel films have been doing, but certainly, you know, Endgame hitting the billion mark and how much money did, like, Jim Starlin get for that? Or <laughs> I know. And you do get into that, you know. Um, now, understandably, they were all hired on work for contracts. Yeah, like, yeah. We know, we know how this works. But, we do. But when you are making that much money, it perhaps, you know, it, it would be a wonderful piece of PR to just say... Yeah, we're just gonna give all these all these creators a kind of like just a little cut, like even if it was zero point one percent of of uh, returns. I think that might be more than two two yeah. <laughs> two grand. <so>. Yeah. <laughs> I um I actually um uh, a few a few weeks ago I got to spend some time with a an artist who I won't name I won't name who who had actually worked for marvel oh, okay and uh they were telling me how they had been credited in a marvel movie oh really uh, yes indeed now now this will be the thing people are gonna have to go away and look and guess and i'll tell pj who it is off air because i don't want to get them in trouble but um their their point was simply that they didn't know they'd been credited in it they were certainly not informed by marvel it took them a moment to actually work out why they'd been credited because it wasn't immediately obvious and uh, they certainly didn't get anything for it. Huh. That's weird, isn't it? That's very strange. Yeah. But there you go. Huh. There you go. <laughs> the world the world keeps turning, but movies keep getting made. Um, PJ, here's a question for you. Mm. How familiar are you with um, multiversity from DC? Oh, I haven't read it. Have you not? No, no. Hmm, interesting. I uh, grabbed it off the shelf this uh, yesterday, you know, because clearly uh, my my reading habits are very limited, and uh, if it isn't Grant Morrison, I'm generally just staring at a blank wall. <laughs> and um, I was flicking through it again, and you know, it's it's a fun it's a fun story. I don't I don't necessarily think it's one of Morrison's uh, best. But again, if you're talking about kind of Morrison continuity and this weird multiversal project that they alone apparently work uh, work on at DC, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of interesting. And a few things struck out, you know, kind of struck me that we may have to we may have to cover at some point. Ooh, intriguing. It's kind of like a continuation. Well, it would be tenuous at best, but if we've done <laughs> Superman Beyond 
And if we ever, if we ever, you know, feel we could, we could, you know, kind of wring some life out of um, pursuing the weird continuity that Morrison has woven across potentially two DC reboots at Mm. this point, uh, that could be interesting in itself. Okay, interesting, interesting, worth filing away. And the, fi- and the final thing I will say, PJ, because I appreciate I'm just kind of bringing all these weird things to you <laughs> and, uh, and, and kind of inflicting them on you. Um, I'm holding a book in front of me, PJ, called The League of Regrettable Superheroes. Oh, I have a copy of that somewhere. Yes, interesting. Uh, now, I've we actually had two copies of this lying around our house because I think both Lucy and I ended up getting it as um, various Christmas or birthday presents over the years. Um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, The League of Regrettable Superheroes by John Morris is a uh, very fun, kind of like light, kind of coffee, coffee table-y kind of uh, project uh, about some of the weirder and um, not quite as iconic superheroes that have been created over the last century. Um, Adam get- X, the extreme. Adam X. Oh my God, PJ! What a memory. Um, yeah, I, I was not. Now, well, that's interesting in itself. Because um, what I was going to say is, I thought these were all specialised in kind of, um, you know, public domain characters. Mm. You know, the ones that had gone out of print. Um, so it was very surprising to me when I was flicking through the book and then I started seeing characters I recognised. Yes. Uh, probably because I'm the kind of sad person who has the DC Encyclopedia the images if not the words kind of seared into my brain so i keep going like that's not a regrettable hero that's buana beast or uh, that's kid eternity these are these are real legitimate heroes these are classics of the genre even the red bee remember the, the red <laughs> oh bee oh my god yeah from that yeah. one issue at the beginning the world war 3 prologue issue you know honestly like my the very first dc comic i owned was was you know kind of world war three and the very first issue in that it's references the red bee he could be my spiritual my spiritual hero pj <laughs> well the reason i bring it up is and it's actually kind of I, I i maybe should have saved this for a few issues but i'm just absolutely itching to i'm going to reference it now and we'll come back to it later mm-hmm. but i was just at this weird moment of cosmic serendipity uh morrison was shining down on us that day I was flicking through this book, reading it cover to cover, and I discovered an entry for a certain team that are gonna that have made and will continue to make a great number of cameos in JLA Year One. Oh, okay. And it and it, it ain't it ain't the Doom Patrol, PJ. <laughs> oh, okay. Do you want to hazard gonna, a guess? I'm going to guess Blackhawks or yes. challenges for the Blackhawks. Okay. It's for Black. It's for Blackhawks. It's for Blackhawks. And um, uh, and this is this is where I've kind of like I'm going to have to like put a button on this and just say we we will return to this because there's a particular moment in an upcoming upcoming issue of JLA Year One that I really want to reference. A moment <laughs> that was so weird, I did not think it could possibly be a reference to something real. Uh, but no, I shouldn't have doubted. Um, I shouldn't have doubted Mark Wade and Brian Augustine. This is a direct reference to something that DC actually published. Okay, I am genuinely not sure off the top of my head what you're referring to here, so well, I will look out for the next time the Blackhawks appear in the book. So all you need to remember, PJ, is it, it involves the Blackhawks, 
Uh, it is something so stupid, you may not believe DC published it, but they did. It's a real thing being referenced by by the creative team. And I have bookmarked this entry in the League of Regrettable Superheroes so that I can I can bring it out when the time comes in a few oh, issues' time. Where's my copy? I do not know. <laughs> okay, well, if you if you um if you discover it, if anyone's got that book at home, PJ included, if, if you discover this moment uh, uh, off air, so to speak, uh, you'll know it when you see it. I think I I think I got that book back when I used to subscribe to Loot Crate. Really? Yeah, I think it was in a, in a loot crate one month. That's actually a surprisingly good gift for a yeah. for a loot crate. Oh, back when it sort of first started, loot crate was pretty good, um, and then it it went downhill quite quickly. I do. Oh God, is it, was this kind of around like 2014, 2015? Yeah, that would sort be about time? right. Yeah, yeah. God, I remember. Um, there was kind of like, particularly in the UK, I remember a lot of big commercial conventions kind of started going downhill and it if for for a couple of years and i remember going to some shows where it was like five percent comics and everything else was just loot crate and loot crate imitators yeah because everybody under the sun had a crate or a box yeah yeah you had i remember zavi did one z box which was ridiculous Sandbox. Um, yeah. It was very if it got to a point, you know, which is why I was kind of surprised you, you know, it actually had a, a hardback, quite decent book in it. because uh, it got to a point where you would be getting like, I don't know, an inflatable Captain America shield that maybe cost like two pence. Well, yeah, when when I was getting it, I got some good stuff in there. Like I got a proper metal replica Captain America shield, not full size, obviously, but a nice little one you can display that's properly metal. The original, the original sort of triangular shaped shield from oh, cool. the first Avenger, which is very cool. Um, a couple of good Funko Pops that were exclusive to like I got a Groot with a glow in the dark hand that I quite like. Um, uh, some good T-shirts. You know, there there was some good stuff in it back in the day, but then I think the problem is there were so many imitators, and then it meant that the quality was sort of everyone was paying for the licenses, the quality started to dip, and it just went downhill quite quickly. I think I only subscribed for about half a year, so I only got about six of them. But, you know, I got some good stuff in those crates. I was happy with it, so yeah. I know there's a few... um, I I think they're run on a bit more of an indie level, but I I think there's a few initiatives that try to do something similar, like with original comics, like a kind of... um, like a like a curated selection of like the best indie comic sort of thing, like kind of straight to your door. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen a couple of those things. There's 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 things for um, like vinyl record collectors as well, where you get a couple of vinyl records every month. And oh wow, things like yeah. So they still sort of exist in one form or another, but I think they're a lot more specific these days and targeted. Hmm. Mm. Well, you know. That's that's uh, that's kind of I was going to say geek culture, but I kind of hated myself for it. But that's kind of that's kind of what it's like, isn't it? It's like if it's either people coming up with like innovative ways to survive the comic industry, or kind of just trashy ways to make as much money as you can be- while you can yeah. before it all collapses. Pretty much. But hey, comics, everybody. Comics. God love them. Yes, uh, I make so much money from comics. <laughs> Oh, PJ, like so much money. That's why all my books, I've I've paid to have them gilded. 
It's giving me a hell of a workout, I can tell you. It's the heaviest copy of JLA Year One on the planet. Oh, wow. But PJ, where where on earth are we? Where were we before, you know, our, 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 our brief break? We are reading an issue of JLA Year One. I, I want to say it's issue four. It's issue four. Well, is the one we're about to read. We haven't already read issue four. Yeah. We're reading issue four of JLA Year One. I didn't forget. Oh, God. No, it's fine, PJ. Honestly, like, you know, you, you have a legitimate reason. You know, you're, you're, you're raising Earth's mightiest hero. Uh, what, what is a JLA? I can't remember. <laughs> what is JLA? <laughs> well, PJ, you've come to the right place. You see, once upon a time, Wonder Woman... No, no, wait, no. Black Canary. Well, it depends <laughs> what continuity you're looking at. Okay, actually, never mind. It's fine. It's irrelevant. <laughs> oh... It's Wait. it's dense. Uh, yeah, we're, issue we're on issue four, four of, of JLA Year One. The JLA have formed and they've done some stuff. There we go. And uh, yeah, basically uh, ragtag collection of heroes. Uh, some familiar faces, but not Wonder Woman because technically she doesn't exist as a superhero at this point. Uh, no Batman because he's an urban legend and antisocial. And no Superman because... Well, I don't know. They haven't asked him yet. And yeah, they've they talked about asking him. And a load of heroes got involved in a bizarre uh, alien invasion by the Appalachians. And uh, now in the aftermath, um, Flash, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Black Canary and Jean Jongs, the Martian Manhunter, are trying to form a team while learning to trust each other and how to make the world trust them. Does that sound about right? Yeah, let's go with that. Oh, and there's a sinister organization called Locus, who Locus. are doing sinister things. There we go. <laughs> there we go. So, with that in mind, PJ, should we should we dive in? Let's do it. Let's look at this 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 here comic thing. So, PJ, uh, we open on everyone's favorite superhero, uh, Snapper Car. He is my favorite superhero. Uh, tech boy. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's basically um, he's he's working on on machinery, big big complex bank of wires and cables and stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's what is he doing? He's, he's helping with their security system, their shields, because their cave needs shields. So he's he's boosting that, making it work better. And then he gives a lot of sort of nonsense techno babble as he goes. <laughs> PJ, uh, you 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 have another podcast about Star Trek. I mean, let's yep. not be let's not be kind of you know saying saying things that are inflammatory. That I mean, Star Trek never said he's got to re rehitch the Framistat to the Hikima Dodger. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, while he's in the process of kind of like literally kind of like elbow deep in cables and wires and stuff, um, they he hears voices. And uh, it's, you know, they're, they're chatting about the JSA. So, you know, kind of like we, we can have some guesses as to who that might be. And then they're like, hang on a minute, who left the door open? And poor Snapper is yanked away from his work by a giant glowing green hand. <laughs> and yeah, Green Lantern has forgotten who he is. And, and Black Canary has to say, it's, it's the kid who helped us beat Starro. He, he works here. What, what is wrong with you? And Lantern's like, oh, yeah. The handy kid. What's your name? <laughs> rude. Very rude, Hal. 
So Snapper introduces himself. And we also now know that this issue takes place right after the JLA's first battle with Starro, the very first appearance of the Justice League of America. Yes, because uh, you've 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 taught me so much, PJ. Because in the context of the original JLA comic, their encounter with the Appalachians was like a flashback. Yeah. Yes. And here's a question for you, PJ: Was Snapper Car part of that original story? I believe so. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but I, I seem to recall that he he's like the the league's kid sidekick. And he has the idea on how they eventually beat Starro. I can't remember what that idea was or how they did it. Uh, but, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I kind of love that this issue is set in the aftermath of that issue. It, it, You know, obviously, it's different because in that issue, Wonder Woman is there and Black Canary isn't. And they also phone Batman and Superman, who are members of the League, and say, hey, we've got a giant starfish. Want to come help us beat it up? And Superman and Batman both go, oh, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> I... I um, um, I love you. No, PJ, Wonder Woman was never there. What you're reading is uh, is an inaccurate uh, kind of account of that story. You know. <laughs> uh, yes. I I do love the I do love the kind of it's not a continuity we're seeing right now, but I, I do love that original take, which was almost like we've got two members of the band who are so famous that they also have solo careers. And like it's almost like due to like publishing rights to contractual performances, it's like they'll make a cameo, but they're never available for some reason. <laughs> I think it's like DC recognised that they were their two biggest characters and wanted to say they were in the league, but they also didn't want Justice League to be a Batman or a Superman book. So while they were members, they actually never really pitched in. <laughs> you see, yeah, I mean, I'd be frustrated. Um, anyway, PJ, please take up the reins because I'm I'm about to put coffee in my lungs and I need to deal with that. Go for it. So, uh, <laughs> Snapper introduces himself again and he seems a bit miffed. He says, I remember your names, Green Lantern, Black Canary, Martian Man, and Aquaman. He's clearly forgotten the Flash's name. Um, <laughs> and then he says that he's tripled the output of the Power Core and the Monitor now picks up worldwide distress bands and he also fixed the short leg on the conference table. So he's been doing a lot of work for the League. And arguably, he's doing a better job than than I was this morning of adjusting the uh, legs on my uh, freezer. So where's where's Snapper Car when you need him? Basically, uh, in the Justice League's cave. Uh, not to uh, not to go off on too much of a tangent, PJ. But when I was flicking through uh, Multiversity, one of the stories takes place in a world where. Um, do you remember in uh, Superman Beyond? There is, um, oh, what's his name? Is it um, Overman, who's like the kind of Nazi yeah. Superman? Yeah, yeah. One of the stories in Multiversity takes place in his world, where you meet the Justice League of that world. And um, the Aquaman, their version of Aquaman, is just called Underwater Man. <laughs> I kind of love that. The purity of that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if it's Morrison, because the idea in that world is that like everybody speaks German because the, mm. the Nazis won the war and uh, uh, kind of like English is like a kind of forbidden language. So I wonder if because we're technically, quote unquote, hearing this in German and German can be a very literal language, whether that's meant to be like, I don't know, the take on that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I might just start calling out for man underwater man from now on. Underwater man, it, it, it gets straight to the point. Um, yeah. 
Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, so basically, um, you know, the, the league are a little impressed that Snapper did all that, uh, including um, kind of linking all their clocks to an atomic clock. There you go. Uh, which prompts Black Canary to go, oh my God, it's, it's almost 7 a.m. So she has her day job to get to. And uh, everybody starts kind of, uh, you know, going away because they, they all have places to be and lives to return to. Yeah, which means they've been up all night doing superhero stuff and now they're going to be up all day doing their jobs. I used to work nights. I could not have then done another job in the day after I'd pull, pulled a full night shift. So kudos to them. <laughs> Do um, just a kind of creative license, PJ. Could you say that... Jean Jong's being a Martian, maybe his sleep cycles. Does he even sleep? We don't, well, I've seen comics where he sleeps, but like, does he even need to sleep in the way that humans sleep? Maybe he's fine. Maybe Green Lantern's ring has a kind of mild caffeinating effect, you know, like kind of having a lot of sugary drinks. Maybe he feels energized all the time. And, uh, you know, Barry's got the, um, maybe Barry's got the speed force just kind of keeping him you know, vigorous all the time. What do you think? Okay, and um, Black Canary? Oh, no, she's knackered. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> no, she's absolutely dying. And she has to wear a wig over her regular hair. Yeah. So she's hot, she's tired, she's been wearing heels all day, and now she's got to go work in a flower shop. Yeah, it's, it's awful, PJ. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, because Green Lantern offers her a lift, and she's like, oh, you just want to meet my mum because you fancy her. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because to the League, at least, they know that Black Canary is the daughter of the original Black Canary. Yes. But they yeah. don't know her identity or her mum's identity, yeah, basically. Exactly. But the only one who doesn't have a private life to get back to is Aquaman, who's basically going, but Locus is still out there. Don't we need to find them? And he seems a bit miffed that everyone else is like, yeah, we, we've got lives to get to. <laughs> and I get it because he's like, well, this is this is kind of important. These these guys are trying to kill us. So, <laughs> yeah, I I mean, and even um, even John, who, you know, kind of Aquaman has some kind of kinship with as an outsider. Even John has somewhere to go, you know, because he's got... Well, he's got his main private identity, but he has plenty of other private identities. And, um, you know, poor Aquaman is just going to go, I don't know, sit in his personal fish tank and kind of chill then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so and so we get a, a nice page, which is our title page, as we see the other members of the League kind of change back into their regular identities. Yeah. So Dinah's taking off her wig. Jean is shape-shifting into John Jones. Barry's putting his costume in the ring. And Hal's just magically turning his Green Lantern uniform into a flight outfit. And then, yeah, we get the title, While You Were Out. The credits, Mark Wade, Brian Augustin and Barry Kitson, storytellers, Michael Bear, guest inker, Pat Garrahy, colorist, Ken Lopez, letterer, heroic age separator, Peter Tomasi, editor. I find the idea of a guest inker on a mini-series an interesting... I don't know why, it just it just feels weird to me that they, they've got a guest person on this series that is effectively a guest series in a way it's always just been a weird one to me but i think you can see the difference as well i i don't yeah i don't prefer it or or not prefer it i'm not saying either way but i feel like michael bear's inking has a slightly scratchier quality if that makes sense you know it, it's funny pj and I, and, I, and i i don't i agree with you i agree with you I, I don't want to kind of like downplay the art of inking which is an incredibly skilled profession but yeah i i hadn't initially noticed the difference but now you pointed out i was like oh yeah there is a change 
yeah, I have to assume same. that the regular team was maybe a bit overwhelmed for the month and they had to Probably. bring someone else in. Probably, yeah. But you know, I I think it certainly suits definitely the John Jones stuff and some of the other darker moments in this issue. This this other Bears inking style really suits. Like we're about to get to a scene in a minute where I think it's it's absolutely superb and really helps sell the atmosphere of it. Well, here's a question for you, PJ, because I know you are an absolute wealth of DC knowledge. Um, where did Barry's ring come from? Uh, he made it, I think. Did he make it? Yeah, including the suit? I believe so. But it was the 50s or the early 60s when they first established that ring. So it was just like, hey, I've made this. Cool. Because that's like a weird, that's like a weird detail that kind of often gets forgotten. Like the idea that Barry, who is good friends with Green Lantern, also has a ring. Yeah. Yeah. That's just kind of like a fun little thing. It doesn't come up very often. (laughs) Also, PJ, where do you stand on Green Lantern and by extension, Green Lanterns? Being able to change their their clothing into other clothing, like their well, uniform. Well, I, th- I think it's more that the the, uh, the the Green Lantern uniform itself is a ring construct. So whatever they were wearing underneath it, when they when they put on the Green Lantern uniform, is is just going to be there when they remove it. So is it is it kind of like being trans like planted like translocated is is one suit teleporting in and another suit teleporting out let's go with yes cuz cuz i'm just saying like you know hal's regular clothing he's got some quite baggy a quite baggy flight suit on uh whereas like the um the uh, green lantern uniform uh, doesn't doesn't hide much it's quite skin you know quite tight is what i'm saying yeah no it must do it must replace it or something. Okay, another question for you, PJ, because I'm I'm just genuinely curious. Um, where do you stand on the idea that do you see the Green Lantern ring as being able to make anything the user can imagine, but out of green plasma, or is it broader than that, and the and the ring can almost do anything, providing the willpower is strong enough well i always go back to on this i think it can do almost anything because there's a, a moment in it's an elseworlds book but green Lantern's powers should work the same way uh, in the nail where mm. hal uses the ring to phase through a wall oh he doesn't create a hole in the wall he just moves through it and using the ring so i think it is just sort of something where you can There'll be green energy involved, but you can do pretty much anything with it if you have the will. Because I, because I remember, I think it's the kind of thing I never really thought about, and I certainly don't have any issue with it because I think it's just, it's just an interesting talking point. But I think the first time I saw a Green Lantern make a like teleportation portal mm. or like a kind of Stargate sort of thing, and I was like, oh, they can do that. So technically, I guess Green Lantern can teleport as well. It kind of makes sense though. Like if if the if you are a space cop, then I always like the idea that maybe like the ring had a whole bank of kind of like maybe it's got like infinite memory and yeah. it's got like a whole bank of like really useful constructs and forms that the guardians have come up with. Yeah. And so if you're like, oh man, I need to teleport to like Thanagar rather than having to fly all the way, you could just create like a, a construct portal and then fly through it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or like, you know, um, and then I guess Kyle's ring, you could always say was a little different, but, you know, Kyle could say, oh man, I want to imagine a treadmill that turns speed into sonic vibrations and he can just make it without knowing the ins and outs of it. Well, there's definitely differences because in the, uh, around Green Lantern 100, when Kyle was Green Lantern, they do a story where Hal travels from the past his early career to the present day and he and kyle are both around and there's a moment where they uh defeat sinestro in the past by swapping rings oh because uh to just throw him off because hal's ring um makes the wearer impervious to um fatal damage basically which kyle's does not but obviously kyle's ring doesn't have the yellow weakness that hal's does so they just they swap rings and defeat sinestro that way so that's that that's definitely what you know there's probably other differences in there as well interesting you know i kind of i can get behind a kind of green lantern that potentially almost has infinite power hmm but it's very much limited by willpower and imagination. Yes. I guess the thing I, 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 but then for that, I really prefer there only being one Green Lantern. Yeah, which is why Kyle is is still my favourite Green Lantern. Oh yeah, no, Kyle is is the best Green Lantern. Amazing hair too. <laughs> um, I I would say I uh, I not to keep talking about multiversity, but just on the subject of Green Lantern. Um. There is one story in multiversity, which is again not not you know kind of like it's fine. It's it's a good story. It's not it's not kind of like it's not going to set your world on fire, but it does have a weird moment where you see Kyle and Connor, aka uh, Green Arrow, reunited, and they're both being written by Morrison, and they're now both like ten, fifteen, twenty years older. Okay. It's a very brief interaction. It doesn't quite it doesn't quite hit you with the emotional beat you would hope it would, but I was just like, oh that's weird. Hmm. You know, the the gang's together again. Yeah. Anyhow, sorry, I'm getting off topic. Uh what are, what are locusts up to, PJ? Well they've got a Starro tentacle, uh which they're gonna put <laughs> like you do, which they're gonna put on cryo because it's got regenerative rege- 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 regenerative abilities. Sure, good, good. Mm. And then, um, like, the lead scientist says, well, how's the new project going? And they just start looking at men tinkering with things. They've got alien DNA. They've got a ray projector. Uh, they're using the combined genius of T.O. Morrow and Professor Ivo. Good to see them back together again, even though we don't the actually dream see team. them. <laughs> the dream team. And one of, you know, still harkens to one of the best standalone JLA stories yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, and then they talk about, well, we need a chess test subject. Who have we chosen? And they go, oh, we went with Blue Beetle. He's in custody. And then they say soon. And then we get three panels of the original Blue Beetle, Dan Garrett, running away from something and falling over. He's got a nosebleed. And he's saying, no, get away, get away, clearly terrified. And this was my first encounter with this Blue Beetle. I had no idea there was another Blue Beetle at this point. Other oh, than Ted interesting. Cord. Yeah. No, Blue Beetle's got a very weird, very weird kind of publishing history. Yeah. Because um, um, I've, I've got to say, PJ, like excellent knowledge on remembering the name of the original uh, the original Blue Beetle, which Thank is you. I've already forgotten it. Dan Garrett. Dan Garrett, yes, uh, who had like super strength, could fly, could change size, could do like all manner of crazy things. Well, yeah, he he had the Blue Beetle Scarab, 
that I, I think the idea is that he died and Ted Cord found him and took the scarab, but Ted could never get the scarab to work. So Ted used technology to become the Blue Beetle. And then when Jaime Reyes gets the scarab, he uses the actual superpowers. Is it the same scarab? I believe Jaime Reyes' scarab is the same one as Dan Garrett's, yeah. Because most of my most of my familiarity with um, Jaime is um, from the Young Justice cartoon. Yes. Which lent very heavily into Jaime and the Scarab. And it definitely was like an alien uh, kind of entity. Uh, which I, And I wasn't sure if that related to the original Scarab or not, or whether I, that was more mystical. I can't remember how it happened, but Jaime got the Scarab after Ted Cord was killed in... Uh, what was it called? There was a big one-shot that was like a prelude to... Uh, no, Infinite Crisis, I think, oh. uh, in which Ted Cord was investigating something and got killed off at the end of it. Oh, poor Ted. Is I think he, alive? he came back no. soon yeah, after. Yeah, fine. But... fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so while the poor original OG Blue Beetle is being terrorised, um, you know, the, uh, the locust scientists are like, what about the JLA? And they say, don't worry, they're still fully under investigation. What? Uh, and then we cut to um, uh, Ferris Industries. Is yeah. It, is it? Yes. Fer- Ferris Air. Ferris. Oh, sorry. Something. Aeronautical. Ferris planes. Fer- Ferris planes. Uh, Ferris flying machines uh, where Hal is not currently flying a plane, uh, but he is down in the hangar. And uh, poor Tom, who's forever in his shadow, is uh, working on uh, the engine of one of their new planes. Yeah, while Hal is trying to impress and is flirting with uh, Laura, the lady who turned up in in issue one to basically do some work at at Ferris Air. And he puts a helmet on her head where she's looking at a computer readout that gathers sensory data to help the ground crew. And Tom says, yeah, it tells us where he's going to (laughs) crash. Yes, and uh, as this kind of harkens to uh, what Hal said in a previous issue where he he never takes the ring with him when he's flying because he needs the edge. He needs the fear, PJ, except he has no fear, but he needs to know he could die. Which he makes needs him... to know he could have fear if he wanted it. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, the air is, is thick with, uh, you know, kind of in innuendo and uh and and flirta- flirtatious banter and um tom is about to kind of like you know kind of uh take take how down a peg only for how to uh covertly create a uh like a like a kind of muzzle or kind of gag to stop yeah. to stop tom talking yeah with the ring yeah how's <laughs> questionable at times isn't he good old uh, but- how Laura says, well, are you flirting with me? Because that's dangerous. And he says, well, I'm courageous. How about dinner? She says, well, I'm here on business. And he says, well, then call it a business dinner. And as she says, well, you don't know me. I might have a secret life. He says, we all have secret lives. And then Carol walks in and starts shouting at him because Hal was supposed to uh, get the X-99 pilot specs to the Pentagon last night. And he didn't because he was busy fighting Starro. But he can't tell Carol that. So he's like, I was just busy. And uh, Carol is like, I had to talk rings around them to keep them calm. Yep. Ring, rings, PJ. Rings. She's like, like what to, the Flash has. I had to... 
you know, that's a Legion of Superheroes reference, isn't it? Yeah. He goes, <laughs> I detort rings around them, Hal. Honestly, I'm green with envy. Lantern. What? What? <laughs> uh, no, just for one pun. But, um, but yeah, she's furious because it's like, you know, they're trying to get a military contract and, you know, Hal's just screwing it up for them left, right and centre. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're just a cocksure flyboy and, you know, I can't rely on you. And I, I need to know where you were last night. Like, level with me. I'm the boss. Yeah, she, she basically begs him. She says, give me something to work with, an excuse. And Hal... He's omitting, but he can't. He, he, I don't think he feels like he can lie to Carol. So all he does is say, "I can't," and she grounds him. She says, "Fine, no flying for you then. You're done." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, wait, where you go, Hal? What can you say? You know, with I mean, with the ring's incredible abilities, maybe if he'd been a bit more focused, he probably could have done both. <laughs> he doesn't want to. How doesn't plan? He just does. That's how he. That's how he functions. Um, but tell you what, PJ. After that heightened emotion, I I, I need a bit of um, bit of a holiday. So that's why I want to go to Ocean World. I'd love to go to Ocean World. And there we are. And there is a, a lady taking her child through one of those underwater tunnels where you get to go in the big fish tank with all the fishies. And he points out the fish tank and says, "What kind of fish is that, man?" <laughs> and Aquaman is swimming with the fishes, but literally he's not dead. It's it's underwater man. He's back. It's underwater man, and he's he's with a dolphin and some fishies. Uh, and um, the Ocean World security team, who are packing a surprising amount of heat. <laughs> Two men just point guns at Aquaman as he comes up out of the tank. Stop, Ocean World police. I honestly did not think they would be armed. Um, but yeah, so they're basically like pointing guns at him saying like, get out of the damn tank, basically. And uh, <laughs> uh, they're not impressed and he's not impressed either. Yeah, Underwater Man just says, well, I only came to see if my imprisoned brothers were being treated decently. And as he gets out of the tank, they, the security team are basically just about to shoot him in the head. <laughs> Could Aquaman take that? He's bulletproof, isn't he? He's his skin is denser, but I don't know how bulletproof he would be at close range in the head. Yeah, I think it would probably hurt very much at the at the, at the least. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, you know, it's all it's all getting to a bit of a standoff. It looks like it's about to um, go bad, and one um, one you know, Ocean World Cup is about. It's probably about to call him a freak. When um, it's it's for that guy, Officer Perez from the Coast Guard, turns up. Who turns up and says, my authority here is limited, but I'll use it fully if I have to. He reckoned without the awesome power of the Coast Guard, PJ. Oh, they always out-trump the Ocean World Police. Who watches for Watchmen, PJ? <laughs> oh, I don't know, the Coast Guard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Aquaman, he's, he's, he asks what's going on, and Aquaman says, "Well, I showed compassion, and it's earned me criminal treatment. Nice country you have here." And Perez says, "Well, use the line I gave you for moments like this." And Aquaman says, "Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape!" To which Perez <laughs> is like, "No, no, just just for one that starts. I'm a member of the." Before he can finish, um, everyone starts taking photos. Because it's like he's he's a celebrity. He's he, he's underwater man, and he's in the Justice League. <laughs> and um, Aquaman is not good with the paparazzi because he kind of just pushes pushes them kind of roughly away. Uh, Perez uh, leagues him kind of like into a quiet exhibit, 
as people start screaming for like lawyers because he was just assaulted by by underwater man basically <laughs> and as aquaman and perez are talking someone approaches and says oh excuse me but an aquaman just shouts i said i came to see if the fish were all right what do you want and it's just a, a an ocean world employee and she says well are they okay and there's a lovely pause as aquaman is like ah oh, no okay and then he just says, basically, yes, they're well cared for. They know they're loved and shielded from predators. Some of them even prefer it here. And she says, thank you. There you go. Not everyone's not everyone's a, a paparazzi or a, or a or a gun-toting ocean world cop. You know, humanity is very nuanced, PJ. It is. Uh, speaking of nuance, uh, nuance, well, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, let's cut to a darkened alleyway where um, Blue Beetle is being menaced by, well, a couple of strange uh, silhouettes, basically. Shadowy figures, one of which is a big figure, one of which is less big. And is says, oh, we've been at this all day, we'll never catch him. Always with the negativity, monsieur. Ah, oh, French. Hmm. French, interesting. And he yes. says, do not lecture me, madame. Oh, okay. Okay, a bit of culture, finally, kind of making its way into this book. And uh, Blue Beetle tries to fly away and stretchy Mr. Fantastic style arms reach out, encircle him and grab him. And then a hairy fist punches him in the face and knocks him out. The hairy fist was my favourite entry in the League of Regrettable Superheroes. <laughs> and uh, they these two shapes uh, load Blue Beetle into a van, which is bearing the uh, the locust branding. I mean, like, I, 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 you have to wonder, is it a good idea if you're on a, a weird criminal enterprise to uh, kind of put your branding on stuff? But it is quite strong branding. So well, it is, off. but I also had a moment where I thought it was two L's and was like, oh, Lex Luthor's going to be suing somebody. That is that's a very good point, PJ. Like, there's very, there's no Lex Luthor in all this. Uh, no. No. I, I'm surprised he didn't, he didn't make his presence felt. <laughs> Particularly when the Blackhawks are in it. Well, yeah, why do you need Lex Luthor when you've got the Blackhawks? Well, indeed. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we get a few kind of um, cryptic phrases here where apparently someone is waiting for them in the van. We don't see who it is. And the big hulking figure says, uh, it was a success, Master. Please be proud of us. And um, uh, the other figure goes, quiet, you ape. Ooh. Ooh who knows what that means? Me. Uh, PJ knows, but PJ's PJ gonna, knows. PJ's not gonna. PJ's gonna keep his mouth shut until the time comes. <laughs> if he knows what's wow. good for him. <laughs> wow! Oh, it's all bubbling up now. Uh, but PJ, um, what's Flash up to? Uh, he's running home. Um, he, he got stuck talking to the new detective who arrived that we met in issue one, uh, Paris Jackson, um, and. What Barry's like, oh, it's always good to make new friends on the force, but now I'm late for a date, and Iris is already at his front door. So he runs past her at super speed, vibrates through the door into his house, cooks dinner at super speed, and she presses the doorbell, and as the ringing finishes, he answers the door, and dinner is... Well, the chicken's in the oven, but everything else is ready. Yes, I mean, of all the things Barry could do, um, apart from slapping the chicken so hard and often <laughs> that it cooks, I don't think he could make a chicken cook any faster basically no no where do you stand pj on how the flash's super speed 
works. From his perspective, is everything moving as fast as he is and only his incredible altered senses allow him to cope? Or is it more like he's slowing time and he's just spent two hours doing all this work, basically? I think it's that second one. Do you reckon? Yeah, I reckon. I think that's kind of horrible. I feel I feel for him. Like he's like, oh man, I've had a I didn't sleep all night. I've got to make this right, so I want to do the work. But now I'm going to spend two hours on top of everything. Oh, and it would be so useful. It'd be I incredibly would get useful. So much done. I'd also if like if I could just if I could do that, I'd be like maybe I'm going to take a bit of me time. Like I'm going to go read a book, you know, because this is all happening in the blink of an eye. So maybe I'll just kind of sit for a bit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can there, read so many things. There is a uh a young Avengers one-off issue during the Kieran Gillen run. Mm. I think with guest artwork by oh Kate Oh man, hang on. I I've just got I've got I've got her book on the shelf. Hang on, I'm just gonna jump over here. Ah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh by by Kate Brown, by artist Kate Brown. Mm. Where Prodigy goes to work for a tech startup where most of the employees are kind of superheroes. And he meets Speed, who is one of the uh, children of uh, the Scarlet Witch and Mm. Vision. And he has taken a part-time job with this company, basically building iPads. I vaguely remember that. Yes, and basically he goes, hang on a minute, hold my coffee. You get the blink of an eye, and he's assembled like 20 iPads. And then he kind of like pants, and he's like, that was two weeks for me. (laughs) And then he does it again, and I'm like, that's horrible. That's miserable. (laughs) I mean, if you're doing that kind of work, yeah, that's miserable. Yeah, anyhow. It can't can't all be kind of like, you know, making making dinners for our fiancés in the blink of an eye. (laughs) But uh, Barry answers the door to Iris, and she's like, wait, you are here? But I've been waiting for five minutes. How are you late, but also at home? And he says, hey, you look great. New haircut? And she says, yeah, it's called the Black Canary. It's all the rage. (laughs) Oh, Barry. Careful now. And then over dinner, she asks him about his day, and Barry just sort of pauses, and then you get a recreation panel of the cover to that first Justice League appearance where they're battling Starro, but with Black Canary where Wonder Woman was on the original and Barry just sort of stays silent. You're like, uh, okay. Um, and also, also, I don't know. He, he's they're having um, they're having Caesar salad, which I I like a Caesar salad, which features chicken, for which Barry has roasted a whole chicken. I assumed the Caesar salad was a starter, but yeah, you're right. PJ, then it's then it's a, it's a chicken salad to start, and then a chick a roast chicken for main. I mean, chicken can be lovely. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm all for chicken, but kind of like, hang on a minute, come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's one, you know, he's the fastest man alive, PJ. He's not necessarily the most imaginative in the kitchen. Um, but hey, uh, what's Black Canary up to? Uh, well, she's off to a uh, a party, you know. And uh, is it is it a kind of like you know uh, a really riotous kind of rave for like a bunch of young people, PJ? No, it's an old person party for an old person having a birthday. It is Wesley Dodd's birthday, the original Sandman. The original Sandman, everybody. <laughs> um, it's funny how, like, I have so many 
of the JSA's alter egos, like their kind of their their real names, kind of ingrained in my brain. I just have a real trouble remembering which one is which. Yeah, yeah. Because there's I... Alan, there's Jay, there's Ted. There's a couple of Teds, aren't there's there? There's a couple of Teds. Yeah, just to make it difficult. Uh, there's Ted Knight and there's Ted Wildcat. Ted Wildcat. <laughs> I can't remember his actual name. Not to be confused with Ted Cord. Ted Beetle. You don't get many Teds nowadays, do you? No, you don't. It's a name it's... that's sort of falling out of fashion. Like um, Hank. Well, you know, I think it's... Hank is short for Henry, and you do still get a lot of Henrys, but nobody shortens it to Hank anymore. This is a great thing where, like, you know, you, you do see the origins of these characters, because, like, how many Marvel characters in the 60s were called Hank? Because <laughs> I guess it was just quite a popular name back then. Um, yeah, and I guess, like, Ted Theodore, I suppose. Yeah. Edward, perhaps. Anyhow, yeah, Wesley Wesley Dogs is here, and it looks like someone got him an egg timer. Yeah, like, Power Man, because it's Rex. Hey! Rex is another name you don't get anymore. Rex, God, yeah. This is that era where like everyone was like a, a kind of um, warrior scientist, you know. <laughs> Great men of industry and, and science and adventurers. Well, Rex is king, isn't it? That's what that means. Yeah! <laughs> That's a powerful name. Powerful name. Um... But hey, yeah, so all these old fogies are like, hey, you know, uh, Dinah's here. Uh, you know, she's one of them Justice Leaguers we've been hearing about. <laughs> and I guess from this perspective, um, we we know that the gov- a government act kind of killed the JSA, kind of mm. forced them all into retirement. And I guess the, the wider world really has kind of no idea what became of them in a way. Like they've all kind of just quietly gone about their business. Yeah, yeah, and they they sort of they start asking her about the league. They're saying we've been watching the news. Are they as good as they look? And Dinah says they're amazing, but they're no Justice Society. And Charles, who I think is Doctor Midnight, is it Charles? I was literally just going to Google Doctor Midnight's real name. Well, someone calls him Charles. Oh, but, well. and this guy's clearly blind, so I've assumed it's Doctor Midnight. <laughs> You're um, just making assumptions, PJ. Yes, well, I might be wrong. But he, he says he can remember when the Justice Society was no Justice Society. Charles McNider. McNider? McNider. That's, That's a, name. a name. Yeah, there have been three different Dr. Midnights over the years. Charles oh. McNider, Beth Chapel, and Pieter Anton Cross. Okay. There you go. I like Dr. Midnight as a character. I think he's got a fun, a fun little power. Yeah, same. Um. Anyway, um... Somebody's, uh, you know, uh, someone's looking a little younger than the others or a little more kind of sprite and uh, sprightly. And I think that's Alan, Alan Scott, the original yeah, Green Lantern. It is indeed. Yes. He's got he's still got a fine head of blonde hair. Yeah. He uh, says uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing the League have Black Canary keeping them in line. She's the only second generation we've got, which makes her our link to the future. And it's true, actually, because... Even though there's all these characters running around with the same names as Silver Age characters, uh, sorry, Golden Age characters, you know, Flash, Green Lantern, etc., none of them are actually connected to the originals in the way that Black Canary is. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you you kind of get like uh, this scene kind of gives you a glimpse into, I guess, kind of Dinah's weird upbringing in a way because yeah. she clearly like adores all these people, but she's also like the only person like in her 20s 
like yeah. in the room like is it is it entirely healthy to be hanging out with like people who are like 30 years older than you i mean like maybe not maybe she should be out socializing with people her own age sort of thing <laughs> and at the same time they're probably all kind of hanging a lot on her i think <laughs> yeah i think so i think so and her mum says oh don't you know no, Alan's wife says, oh, leave her alone. Stop teasing her. And Dinah's mum says, don't be silly. She loves it. Yes. What's the, what's the kind of um, the showbiz mom kind of kind of trope here? Yeah. Yeah. Forces their kid into the beauty pageants and things like that to live vicariously through them and recapture their own glory days. Or indeed, glory days they never actually had. Yeah. Well, or a certain golden age, PJ. Perhaps glory days go anyway. No, it's fine. I'm um, anyway. So, uh, there are we cut to uh, two gentlemen looking at pictures on a wall, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this is Al Pratt, the mighty atom. Yep, and one of the tags, tags, Ted Knight, the original Starman. Yeah, yeah, because Al says he wishes he had somebody to pass the atom identity to. I don't. No, if Ray Palmer was the Atom at this point yet. I assume he was, because he's on the back cover of the book. He pops up in a later issue, doesn't he? But that's, yeah. the, that's the confusing thing in itself, isn't it? Because the the Atom, the original Atom, his legacy gets passed on to Atom Smasher yes. and Nuclon, not to, not to the Atom as we know it. Yeah. No, the Atom yeah. must have been around because we know he's the seventh person to join the league. Yes, yes, that's true. Actually, no, no, and he is because he. Um, in fact, we've seen him, have we not? Did he not turn up? You're right. He, had, we, he did. Yes, in issue... he had a very brief cameo somewhere in issue two. Mm. I want to say, as but maybe he's the... just not common knowledge yet. Yes, I think he he might even say something to the effect of like, "Man, I've only been the Atom for like a week, and but, clearly." Yes. I'm not in these people's league yet. Yes. Oh, actually, yeah, I just found it, PJ. He says, uh, so we see the Atom watching it on TV, and he says, I thought I was a hotshot. I've been the Atom maybe, what, a week? I'm going to need a lot more training if I want to hold my own against creeps like those. There we go. So there he goes. It's all connected, PJ. Yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing it's just not public, you know, which his power set isn't very flashy, so almost certainly wouldn't be public knowledge that the Atom exists, I guess, at this point. It's kind of, um, it's kind of, um, it's a little more flashy than the actual original Atom. Because yeah. I think the Mighty Atom's power was, uh, he was uh, a slightly short man, and he w- he had a good punch. Yeah, well, I, th- I think in the original Atom's case, it's sort of the Atom is more of a reference to the Atom Bomb, whereas with the Atom, that you know, Ryan, um, not Ryan, Ryan Choi's the other one, Ray Palmer. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's more the size of an atom shrinking. You know, it's it's interesting because I know I know the mighty atom gives rise to Atom Smasher and Nuclon, who are very kind of like nuclear powered heroes. But I I honestly always assumed that the the original mighty atom was called the Atom because he was a slightly small man, as in not like not like shrinking, like literally just like oh he's maybe like five foot two, like you know it's very judgmental. But you're right, it probably makes more sense that. Um, uh, he uh, it was it was atom as in atomic powered sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, he was like Puck. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, here we go. Atom Al Pratt. Uh, da, 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 da. 
according to uh, Powers and Abilities. During his early days of crime fighting, Al Pratt possessed no metahuman qualities. Instead, he is a formidable boxer, expert physicist, and superb athlete. After being bombarded by Cyclotron's energies, Pratt gained immense strength, stamina, durability, and speed, as well as the ability to focus radioactive energy into a punch. In addition, he was immune to certain types of radiation. There we go. There you go. Fun times. But yeah, while he's while he's lamenting there not being an atom because nobody knows about Ray Palmer, um, Starman Ted is saying, "Oh, my, my son's talking about taking up the Starman role, so that would be cool." Yeah, and that's oddly enough, uh, David Knight is the Starman that we might know of the nineties. Which mm. I guess, from Ted's perspective, is a direct lineage. This is not including, I believe, the six other Starmen who were completely unconnected. Some of whom were aliens, yes. and I maybe were either busy on the other side of the planet or other side of the universe, or may simply have not been in continuity at this point. Yeah, <laughs> he has no idea basically how many Starmen there are. Exactly. Anyway, sorry, completely, uh, di- uh, complete diversion here. These Golden uh, Age characters will do that to you. Yes, indeed. Um, they've got so much history, PJ. They are fascinating when you yeah. drill down into it, sort of their how they were created, the legacies they left, and then how they were used as time went on. Yes, and the kind of the place they held in the DC universe for quite a while as as kind of always being these elder statesmen. Yeah. That again, like the DC universe has slightly confusing origins depending on which continuity you're currently in but the idea that like is superman the first superhero and then it's like well no he kind of isn't but then he's kind of the gold standard sort of thing and like there was this whole generation of people before i i honestly don't know if there's any place for the JS, jsa in the current dc universe as it currently stands i don't know where whether they've been retconned or whatever well you reach a point because they're so intrinsically tied to being around in world war ii that you reach a point where you have to really stretch things to have them still be around mm. um in most cases so like alan and jay that's easy enough to explain away but the rest of them it's like oh how is he still alive yeah yeah i mean um i guess by the time when we do crisis times five i mean you know that kind of led to a bit of a revival of the JSA, but they were still, you know, again it was like they were very depleted. They were having to find reasons why, you know, the surviving members were still active. You know, maybe they were they had years taken off them, or they'd, um, you know, they had the Speed Force keeping them young. So the JSA, as it existed in the late nineties and early two thousands, was very much like a kind of heroes younger heroes who aren't quite a fit for the league like say captain marvel or or uh star girl uh legacy heroes and then these kind of elder statesmen kind of yeah. over overseeing things yeah yeah anyway sorry we're getting completely off topic here uh they're looking at a painting pj it's a photo it's a photo sorry a photo <laughs> shut up john it's a photo <laughs> <laughs> of the lance family so uh, Dinah Senior, they actually call her in this one, Larry and Dinah, as a child who were on some kind of hike. And he says, oh, Larry was a very lucky man. And Ted sort of goes a bit distant and says, I'm going to go get some punch. And he goes into the kitchen 
uh, where Dinah Senior is there getting punched. And it's very awkward between them. They haven't seen each other for a while. There's a moment where she passes him a glass. They touch hands and he walks out and she looks awkward. And Dinah sees this. I And, and I don't want to detract from this kind of very powerful moment, PJ, but um, I, I just want to correct you on something. Uh, Ted doesn't say, do you want some punch? He says, do you want some punch he puts emphasis on it because al, al pratt was known for punching things you're right i missed the gag i'm sorry 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 please I stepped please all over it. it i know i know like like he was small like an atom <laughs> um but uh hey, pj another thing there's a calendar on the wall yeah and 19- you can't quite 80 eight, something 80 something your your theory is correct pj this is set in the 80s it's and it's, 80s. it's a calendar with a big pig head on it <laughs> I mean, um, but yeah, uh, Ted Ted leaves, and Dinah Junior and Dinah Dinah Senior are kind of left alone in the kitchen. And Dinah's like, uh, "What was that about?" And you know, Dinah Dinah Senior, her mom is like, "Well, look, I I have something to tell you, Dinah. You know about about Ted and me and something from a long time ago." And. Uh, <laughs> Then we yeah. cut to exterior shot of the house and a massive scream of Dinah shouting, what? <laughs> Basically, in, in that tone. Yep. And we, we cut from there to Middletown Police Headquarters where John Jones, not, you know, he doesn't live there. He works there. <laughs> he basically lives there, PJ. <laughs> Pretty much. And his partner, Diane, walks in with, with a man who she's giving a, a tour to and introduces them and... Turns out this is a guy she's just met in a bar and he's never attended an autopsy. She called him a wuss and it's turned into a date. Um, He is a detective. Vince Logan is his name. And uh, as he goes to get some coffee, Diane says to John, well, what's your, you know, you've got your litmus test on guys. You have an instinct. What's with this guy? And, And John just says, bad vibe. He's already planning on inviting you to the jacuzzi in his hotel room. (laughs) Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad I'm glad they established that this man is a detective because it, it might it might be a bit weird otherwise if she's met a guy in a bar and is then like, hey, do you want to come see an autopsy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't believe John. She's like, oh, he's not that much of a cheese ball. And then he just walks over and says, hey, how are you for jacuzzis? <laughs> and she's like, how how do you do that? You know, you're a mind reader. And he's like, well, you know, I'm just. I, I learn a lot about people, you know, just chalk it up to that. Mm. And then, uh, you know, Vince is like, hey, baby, let's go. You know, he just he's just being that guy, basically. And um, and uh, and she's like, hey, jo- John, that's what I was going to say, John. But she's like, John, you should come with us. You know, come come to the jacuzzi with us. You need <laughs> you need new friends. And John says, oh, I've already found a group I can belong to. Whether they can accept me yet is a question I've yet to answer. And Diane's like, no, really, I need you to help me here. And John's like, nice meeting you, Vince. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I guess, like, you know, she can always, you know, kind of arrest him, I suppose. If she's like, I don't want to see a jacuzzi, you weirdo. Yeah. Um, But from that cheerful, cheerful note, PJ... Uh, let's cut to a horrific science experiment. God, this is horrific. This this is one of the pages from the comic that's just been seared into my brain for two decades now. <laughs> <laughs> because you've got Blue Beetle, the original Blue Beetle, strapped to one table. Uh, one of the weird locusts 
creations strapped to another. The creation has no arms. They've both got these big sci-fi beam things pointed at them. And Blue Beetle is pleading with them, saying, no, please. The two beams are activated and big purple energy surrounds both of them. When it passes, Blue Beetle has passed out and he doesn't have his arms anymore. And his arms are attached to the alien construct instead. It is grim. (laughs) Uh... I would say though, very pretty. I do like the energy crackles. They um they remind me of um uh Wonder Man from uh as as rendered by uh George Perez in Avengers. Yeah. Big crackly energy man. Um and uh the uh, <laughs> the weird the weird purple blob creature with uh kind of um Blue Beetle's arms is uh screaming silently. Uh, because thankfully they didn't give it vocal cords. Yeah. And then the arms just dissolve into protoplasm and they say, oh, well, field test should fine-tune the process. Uh, who can we send out? As the creature is still screaming and Blue Beetle is passed out without any arms. Uh, uh, yeah, and um, we cut PJ to, um, well, everybody's favourite. It's the Brotherhood of Evil. Uh, not the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, just Brotherhood of Evil, uh, which is Monsieur Mala. Monsieur Mala, the French gorilla. <laughs> the French gorilla. Um, Madame Rouge, uh, who uh, is is like stretchy, like like fantastic. And uh, the Brain, uh, who is absolutely brilliant, um, is is a brain in a in a in a tank of 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 goo of like kind of saline solution uh embedded in a kind of golden pedestal with a skull on the front which moves around on little wheels uh <laughs> it's it's brilliant and the brain am i right thinking the brain is a she i can't remember no the brain is a he okay the brain is a that. he but anyway he says we call ourselves the brotherhood you may call us allies to be continued to be continued, and the eagle-eyed among you, whether they are your own eyes or they've been transplanted from an unfortunate superhero, uh, will know that, um, well, the Brotherhood of Evil, they're not traditionally enemies of the Justice League, PJ. Uh, they're Doom Patrol enemies. What? Say what? Uh, so that, ooh, I wonder what that means for future future issues. Do you know, I always thought First time I read this, I thought, oh, they've just killed Blue Beetle. You, yeah, I mean, you probably would think. But I think later on, he's just there again in the background with arms. So I don't know if that's ever actually explained. The, the, he, there, some things are explained. So yes, he does, he, he, fear not Blue Beetle fans. Um, the original Blue Beetle, whose name is? Dan Garrett. Dan Garrett. Is guaranteed a long, successful life and career. <laughs> but, yeah, it's no. I like that issue. I think it's nice to see the league in some downtime and how the being in the league is affecting their lives. Like Year One could so easily have just been a four-part miniseries. As you know, I think like Batman Year One is only four parts. In the end, um, a lot of these stories are. But I'm glad they gave JLA Year One twelve issues and room to breathe. So they could fit issues like this into it. 
Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, it's, I don't know. I guess it, 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 in a way, is it is it because this being a, I don't know what you call it, a, a side story, a miniseries, um, it, the pressure was off in a way. Like, did it, did it allow them to, to do this sort of thing, to take a, take a more kind of um, a slower, more reflective approach? I think it really pays off. Yeah. Because I think, you know, you, you, as I say, you've got the space to do things like this. It makes it, I think, easier for the creative team, for Wade and Augustine to play around with continuity. Like the fact that this is set in the aftermath of the first Justice League adventure that DC ever published gives it just a little extra something that I particularly enjoy. And yeah, just weaving it in like that is great. Yeah, I agree. It's... um. It, it's it's a really nice issue. It's a really it's really fun. Um, you you can see, and this is where like I I don't want to do um Brian Augustine any you know kind of disservices as a as a writer. I'm just not as familiar with with his work. But you you know this kind of like screams Wade to me. Like yes. you know uh, Wade gets characters, and he and he clearly has such a such an affinity for this world and this cast and. Yeah, I think I think he's probably having the time of his life writing this. Like just <laughs> just like, you know, Barry making two chicken courses in a three course meal. Like <laughs> Yeah, chicken for pudding as well. Yeah, yeah, you gotta get, get get like a little chicken mousse going. Like chocolate chicken. Chocolate chicken. It's 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 charming, you know, and you know, it's funny, like you could ask yourself, like, what 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 do you expect from a a a monthly superhero comic? And one school of thought would say well, there's not nearly enough explosions. Uh, we didn't see people punching each other enough, you know, apart from that one hairy fist. Uh, all people do is sit around and talk. And I think it's actually, it's absolutely delightful. You know, it, it really, really, it's just lovely. It really works. Yeah, agreed. And it really gives you the personalities of all the members, like Hal being effectively an arrogant jerk at times. You know, he's he's a good guy, he's a hero, but he's an arrogant jerk at times. <laughs> he's hard to he, he's he's a hard man to warm to, yes. I think. And I don't think that's a failing of the story. I think they're playing him exactly how he is. Like he is just a, a difficult man to to like. Yeah, yeah. Although there's there's character development and growth for him as the book goes on, which is obviously something that he didn't get in the 60s because that's not what comics were back then. <laughs> no, no, and it would be, you know, it it would be disingenuous of me to say that Hal was, like, a complete jerk. He isn't. Like, he is a hero, and he, he has, you know, he has noble moments. He he just is a, you know, he's cocky and flawed, and I guess that makes him interesting. Yeah, but you get Barry is always late, but is also very thoughtful about other people um aquaman is still a newcomer to the world and and doesn't really understand what's going on diner is struggling to live up to a legacy but that she reveres and that we'll get into that next issue <laughs> and, and jean is is just well jean is probably the one i think that changes the least from the early days to like morrison's jla because he's he's still learning, but he's he's just very much an an upright stand up guy. Yeah, you do get um it's something I quite like about the Morrison uh take on Jean, which I which I, I think is really, really strong, is that he's obviously this kind of like stoic, quiet, reliable core to the league. But you do get these moments where like his kind of like anger bubbles to the surface, like a kind of 
deep, deep, like you've got to ask yourself, like, what would it take to make Jean angry? And it, because he's such a nice guy. And it turns out it's generally like a deep frustration at people kind of going through these tired old motions, like dictators and despots. Like, mm. um, I'm thinking of his reaction uh, when Zarya was being hunted by the angels, uh, when he's like, crying out loud, like, how many times do we have to do this? Like, yes. master races and you know, bullies and tyrants. He just like he's so weary of that kind of crap. And I I, I really love that. Yeah. Same. Same. Now the one uh the one kind of I, I'm I'm excited where we're going, PJ, particularly the next the next couple of issues. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, those are great. Those are very, very memorable, the next two issues. And and also like um I d I don't think it's too much for a spoiler to say that like if if some Doom Patrol villains turn up, we might be seeing some Doom Patrol um what what i know i know and uh, that's furtive that's furtive morrison territory as well because i i absolutely love the uh grant morrison and richard case run on doom patrol it's one of my favorite books i wonder if if that's why you know wade being friends with morrison why the doom patrol are probably you know they get two issues here to guest star and that is the most prominent guest star role in the book and i wonder if wade sort of did that as a you know this is jla morrison's doing the main jla book let's bring the doom patrol in just to give it that little bit of synchronicity it's delightful and and the one downside here uh and i and i won't hold it against the creative team is that monsieur mala is not wearing his beret yeah which 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 is is kind of a crime, but then again, this is a this is an early early story in the history. So maybe uh, Monsieur uh, Mala hadn't. Well, no, that's a lie because according to the Morrison story featuring Monsieur Mala and the brain, um, he received the beret from uh, Che Guevara and would only <laughs> would only take it off if someone could best him in combat or chess. Well, maybe someone in Locus, you know, scientists, there's clever people there. Maybe he just got beaten in chess. Oh, and then he, then he, he between between then and now, there's a rematch. Yeah, gets the beret back, and then yes, okay, that makes sense. That makes perfect. The sense. only thing that I'm sad about is that it's at uh, such an early point in the Doom Patrol's life that we don't get Beast Boy. <laughs> oh, you see, I'm I'm the guy where I'm like. I, I I think Beast Boy should stay on the Titans. No, me like, too. But obviously, he yeah. started with the Doom Patrol. So yes, because it was was it uh, Rita Far and Mento? He was like yeah. their adoptive son. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah, that rings a bell. Well, I'm like, if if there's no, you know, I'm 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 the one who's like, where's my? I need Rebus and I need um, Crazy Jane. Like, I'm like <laughs> that. That's my that's my Doom Patrol. But you know, we get the classic man, the classic members. We we get Mister Negative. We get Robot Man. We get uh, oh, what's her name? <sighs> no, Elastigirl's the Incredibles. Yes, uh, no, isn't she Elastic Woman? Elastic Woman. Yeah, there we go. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we if you're if you're a Doom Patrol person, there's there's some treats coming up, basically. Very exciting treats. Um, PJ, do you think there's anything left to say about this issue? Uh, no, I'm 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 happy to to get to the next issue and and the Doom Patrol. I guess, I guess you know one kind of question here, and I I I would be interested to hear your thoughts because I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. But I was just wondering, like to to an audience in 1998, how do you think this story would have would have hit? Because you know we're reading this 
you know, t- 20, yeah, gosh, like 25 years later, however, however, however long it's been. And, um, you know, we're kind of reading it as, quote unquote, DC historians at this point, where we kind of have a familiarity with these characters and the, the legacy that Wade and um, Augustine and the whole creative team are evoking. But if you read this in 1998 and you're kind of like 10 years out from Infinite Cri- um, Crisis and Infinite Earths, is this still, are these characters still fresh in your memory? Or would like a contemporary reader be going, well, who the hell are these people? Like, what's going on? Like the Doom Patrol, the JSA, I'm not familiar with these people. And I think we're, the 90s, I think, was a period where comic readers were getting very interested in, or certainly the late 90s, in the histories of these universes. Because at the same time you get Busick doing Avengers Forever, which heavily ties into and tries to mop up Marvel continuity at the time. Oh, gosh, you're and right. That's a very good point, yeah. So I think there was an element of, right, we're, we're 12 years outside of Crisis. I know things are different now. We know Black Canary was the original League member and not Wonder Woman at this point, but we don't know how that all worked, how that actually went down. And I think this book would have scratched that itch for a lot of them. And, and as well, you'd have had a lot of readers... You know, Hal had only died very recently in the comics... So you had a lot of readers for whom Barry and Hal were their Flash and Green Lantern who still weren't quite happy with the new guys. And this gives them a little bit of that as well. So I think I think it probably went down quite well at the time. Yes, it's hard. To, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's hard to think because I guess we're referencing stories here which are well, certainly going back to the 60s. But, you know, some of these characters are going back to the you know 40s and 50s as well. Mm. So but again, oh, gosh, I mean. This is this is our age showing here, but there's almost as much distance between us and this comic as there would have been between this comic and the original stories it's it's referring to. Oh, how dare you! I know. <laughs> oh God, makes, makes you ill, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because what we're 25 years out from this book now, so this book would have been 73. Would be 20, 25 years out from the publication of this. So yeah, just after the Silver Age, really. Well, during the tail end of the Silver Age, I guess, really. Yeah. Gosh, and it still feels like yesterday, PJ. That's the thing. Yes, it does, and I hate that it wasn't. But but we're always looking forward, PJ. We're looking. We're looking. Our eyes are turned towards the horizon. Towards we... what bits of yesterday we're going to look at tomorrow? There, PJ. God, that's that's poetic. That's that's beautiful. Thank you. There we go. Ah, oh, man. Um. God, I wish I could remember what you just said because I'd love to repeat it. But God, it sounded really good in the moment. Yeah, um, you'll remember it when you edit this. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but on that on that note, PJ, if if we if I think we have touched upon everything that needs to be said, I, I guess I should I should thank uh, Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork uh, and Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of promote or shout about, PJ? No, we already mentioned my Star Trek podcast, Measure of a Fan. Go listen to it. It's releasing sporadically at the moment because baby and editing don't mix. But there we go. He's got a lot on. He's got a lot on, people. Like, be kind. Um, No, I I haven't got much to shout about either, uh, other than um, we're going to be starting the physical fulfillment of the Comic Writers Journal very soon. Very excited about. Uh, Yes, I believe PJ is one of the beneficiaries of that, which will be nice. Can't wait to get that out to you. And, uh, yeah, I guess the only other thing I can say is that I'm very excited about the next couple of issues. Me too. Me yes, too. It's going to be good. 
you know, those two issues will take us to halfway through JLA year one. Hard to believe. You know, mm-hmm. and if um if 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 we if we keep up our, our very strict publishing schedule, PJ, uh I'm sure we'll have this series done in no time. Maybe by this time next year. Maybe well, you know what, PJ, the series it's not getting any you know, it's evergreen. You know, it will always True. be here. It will always be here for us in the halcyon days of 1998. <laughs> um, on that note, PJ, this has been a pleasure. Uh, could you please see us off in your own unique fashion? I already peaked this episode, so I won't even bother trying. Bye.